Well, hey, uh, last night was uh, quite an event for, for me as I got to take my daughter Abby to the Tennessee football game. And about three, four years ago, she went and she didn't remember a thing. And so last night was really the first time she'd ever been. And it was, it was really fun for me as a dad to, to watch my daughter just be kind of blown away uh, by all uh, of what was going on. And it was very uh, sensational last night as uh, she was watching the fireworks, for example. She was always scared when the fireworks went off after a touchdown happened, and she wasn't ready for it. Uh, she was uh, really blown away by the band and all their movements and the songs that they were playing. Uh, she was just constantly just looking around with her eyes wide open, just taking it all in, and was really kind of blown away by the experience. Uh, there was also one thing that she didn't like, and that was the man behind us. <laughs> uh, he was a, a rowdy fan and yelled the entire time. She even kind of closed her ears or had her hands over her ears a few times, and, and, uh, and, and he was pretty rambunctious but not too crazy to where I didn't have to say anything. But apparently, the guy next to me that was sitting next to Abby, we were in between, or Abby was in between us, uh, he ended up having to leave early, and he whispered over to me, I have to leave now or I'm going to punch that guy in the face. <laughs> and I said, thank you for leaving because I didn't want to have to break up a fight, uh, and I didn't want you to hit this guy over my daughter. <laughs> so it was quite the experience. But as I'm taking it all in, watching my daughter as she's taking it all in, it also made me think of something. And that was, I had become pretty familiar with Tennessee football and the experience at Nayland Stadium. I, I grew up going to the games. I, I could pretty much tell you what songs the band will play and when they'll play it. I could tell you the movements that the band would make during the songs. I could tell you the cheers that the cheerleaders would, would give. Uh, I could almost tell you some of the play calling as well. Um, it's just amazing how you can kind of get wrapped up into the experience after being there for so long. But at the end of the day, I realized what was happening to me, and that was I was allowing familiarity to rob me of my excitement for the game. And, and, and so easy, uh, or so often we can do that uh, in life in general. But last night, it, it kind of woke me up. And that was, here I was, kind of reliving the days my, my, my daughter was at first experiencing, when I first experienced it. And I thought, I remember how excited I used to get coming to Nayland Stadium and seeing all these things for the first and second and third time. But now, it's kind of mundane. And yeah, there's still parts that are exciting, especially when we score, but at the end of the day, I, I allowed familiarity to rob me of excitement. As we approach this Christmas season, this Advent season, many of us have heard the birth of Jesus and the story of Jesus a hundred times. We have traditions that we've done for many years. We, we may put up our wreaths the day after Thanksgiving. We may decorate our houses with the same Christmas lights and the same artificial tree that we've had for years. We might even listen to the same carols and hymns that we, we hear every Christmas. We, we might even watch the same Christmas movies. And although it's a fun season for us, we can allow what's familiar to us to rob us of our wonder for the birth of Jesus. One author, he said it this way, there's great danger with familiarity. He said, when we become familiar, we take things for granted 
We quit noticing them. We tend not to celebrate as we once did. Familiarity tends to rob us of our wonder. What has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. What has captured the wonder of our hearts will control the way we live. My question to you this morning is, what has captured the wonder of your heart? What is it? And if it is indeed the Lord, then let him control the way in which you live. I was able to get, once again, a glimmer of hope and a glimmer of excitement watching my daughter as she was experiencing the football game for the first time. And it was able to help me kind of reclaim that wonder and that excitement for the football experience once again. It is my hope and my desire and prayer that during these next five sermons that we'll be able to help you recapture your excitement for the Christmas season. Not just go through the motions and say, I've heard this story a hundred times, but instead say, wow, what an incredible Savior we're here to worship. What an incredible Christmas story of how this all came about. So for the next five sermons, we're going to be giving you five different prophecies from Old Testament prophets who prophesied and foretold about this incredible birth story narrative of Jesus Christ. This morning, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah chapter 23 and the prophecy that Jeremiah gave about a Messiah who was to be born from the line of David. And I hope as we talk about this prophecy that it will help you kind of regain that excitement you once had for Christ and for this Christmas season. So Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning with verse 1, reads, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will tend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, And I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. And Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The word of the Lord. What we see in this prophecy given by Jeremiah is that a good shepherd and a righteous king from the line of David was to come. That he was coming. One thing we know about the birth of Jesus Christ is that there would be a Messiah who was to come from the line of King David. And this Messiah would be a good shepherd, and he would be a righteous king, a righteous leader. Now, as you look through the Old Testament, you will see this common theme, this common prophecy given. And it was all about a Messiah to come from the line of David. We read about it already, Jeremiah 23, 5, that tells us, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Isaiah 11, 1 tells us, A shoot will come from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. 
Jesse was the father of David. These prophecies were talking about how from a stump, from a root, would come a new branch. And this branch would be the king of all kings, the lord of all lords. He would be a royal descendant from the great king, King David. And this king would be Jesus. As you fast forward from when Jeremiah and Isaiah gave these prophecies about a Messiah from the line of David. You then get to Matthew chapter 1, about five to 700 years later. And in Matthew chapter 1, the very first words of the very first book of the New Testament, Matthew says this. He records a genealogy of Jesus, and it says, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. As you read through Matthew chapter 1, you'll see 42 different generations mentioned. And in that list of 42 generations, there's a breakdown of three groups of 14 generations. Verse 17 describes it this way. There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to Christ. Now, if you study history and you study Old Testament to New Testament, you will realize there were more than 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus. So why did Matthew abbreviate 42 generations? Why did he summarize it in three groups of 14? I'll tell you something, and you may have never heard this before. I didn't know about it till this week. And that is, there's a reason why Matthew broke it down this way. Numbers in the Hebrew alphabet... They represented letters, essentially. And letters represented numbers. The name David in Hebrew is broken up this way. Da, dav, valet, dav. David. Okay? Stay with me for a second. Dav is the number four in Hebrew. Valet is the number six. Dav is the number four. Let's do some simple math. Four plus six plus four is what? Fourteen. Why do I bring all this up? Matthew, from the very beginning, verse one, to the end of the genealogy, verse 17, he's writing to a Jewish audience who understands David. And what he's trying to do is saying, David, David, David. Why does all that matter? Because as Matthew's writing this gospel, he knows his Jewish audience will be familiar with the Hebrew alphabet. And he knows that number 14 is important to them because it represents who? David. Jesus would come from the line of David. And Jesus would be an even greater shepherd, a more righteous ruler than David was. Now, when we go back to David, we realize... That he was a great shepherd. He was a great king. And Matthew's audience knew the greatness of David. Everybody loved David because he was a phenomenal man of God. A man after God's own heart. We know in, in, in Psalm chapter 78, it's descri- David is described this way in verse 70. That God chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob. Of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, 
With skillful hands, he led them. David was a great, a great shepherd. He was a righteous king. But here's the thing. If you've studied a little bit of the Old Testament, you'll realize that David wasn't perfect. Yes, he was perhaps the greatest king of all time for the nation of Israel. But he wasn't perfect. Because there was a time when David neglected his shepherding duties. Instead of going out to battle with his troops as the general, there was one day where he just stayed back and he neglected caring for his troops. And instead, he ended up having an affair. And the woman he had an affair with, Bathsheba, he ends up finding out about her husband and has him killed. It was the worst day of David's life, the sins he committed that day. And it revealed to the Israelites, and it reveals to us as we learn about David, that David was a sinner just like you and me. And David wasn't the king that the people of God needed. There must be a king that's greater than him. And that king would come from the line of David. Well, in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah's people, they weren't ruled and led well by shepherds. There were shepherds who would take advantage of God's people. In Jeremiah chapter 6, it describes these shepherds by saying, For from the least of the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. And they say, peace, peace, when there's actually no peace. The shepherds of Jeremiah's day, they were terrible. They neglected their duties, and they took advantage of the people of God. These were prophets and priests who were supposed to care with compassion for God's people, but instead they only cared about themselves. They were leading God's people from the back and not from the front. And in Jeremiah 23, verse 1, it describes these shepherds saying, Woe to the shepherds who destroy the sheep of my pasture, Verse 4 said, I'll set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more. What was happening in the days of Jeremiah is that the shepherds were destroying God's people. They were literally leading them to the slaughter, and they were causing them to be afraid. There was a, a story, a true story, that happened in Israel, and it was, it was of a, a tour guide taking uh, some visitors that were just touring the land of, of Israel, and, and he was driving them around the countryside, and this tour guide would say, I want you to notice all of these flocks of sheep, and I want you to notice every time you see these flocks of sheep where the shepherd is. The shepherd is always in the front of the sheep. You will never find a shepherd leading the flock from the behind. Well, as this tour bus continues to drive throughout the countryside, all of a sudden, there's this tourist who, who yells out to the tour guide saying, Hey, tour guide, wait a second. Stop the bus. I noticed that there's a shepherd that's behind the flock of sheep. You told us that the shepherd always leads from the front, but yet there's a shepherd in the back. What's going on here? So, of course, the tour guide is dumbfounded, and he tells the bus driver, Stop the bus. He gets out of the bus, and he goes over, and he talks to the, the shepherd leading the sheep from from behind, and he comes back to the bus with the sheepish grin, and, and he says, that wasn't the shepherd, that was the butcher. <laughs> I tell you that story because that's what 
the shepherds of Jeremiah's day were doing. They weren't leading from the front. They were leading from behind and leading God's people to the slaughter. They weren't compassionate shepherds. They also weren't good leaders. Jeremiah 10.21 described the shepherds this way of Jeremiah's day. For the shepherds are senseless and do not inquire of the Lord. So they do not prosper and all their flock is scattered. These shepherds, the leaders of God's people, they neglected their responsibility. They were senseless. They were foolish. They didn't trust the Lord and they didn't go to God's word. They didn't even pray and seek God's counsel. And as a result, the people of God were left scattered and wandering around aimlessly with no leadership and no one to guide them. That's why Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 23 that these prophets and these shepherds were leading people to scatter and leading them away from the homeland of God. Now, the Associated Press, several years ago, they, they came upon a story in Turkey. And in Turkey, there was a sheep who had gotten away from its flock, and the sheep kind of wandered away. And all of a sudden, the sheep got to this edge of a cliff, and the sheep just walked off the edge to its death. Right after that, there was another sheep that followed its friend, and it too jumped off the cliff. A couple hours go by, 1,500 sheep end up jumping off this cliff to their death. Well, actually, not all 1,500 died. About 450 of the sheep died because the rest of them survived because they fell on a sheep pile. The shepherds who ended up losing their sheep in Turkey, they, they finally realized where their sheep had gone. And one shepherd reported to the Associated Press, he said, all of these sheep are a waste because the sheep have broken limbs and they really don't serve their purpose for us anymore. We've just lost 1,500 sheep. I bring that up because we as sinners are like sheep. And we go astray because we turn to our own ways. And if we don't have a shepherd to guide us and to care for us, then we too will fall off the cliff and scatter and die. This is what was happening to the people of God in Jeremiah's day. They had scattered. They had no shepherd to guide them and to protect them. But fortunately, we read in this prophecy in Jeremiah 23, verse 3, that God would gather the remnant of his flock out of all the countries where he's driven them. He'll bring them back to their fold, and they will be fruitful, and they will multiply. God would set shepherds over them who would care for them, and they will fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Jeremiah was talking about a prophecy where there would one day be shepherds that would bring God's people out of exile back into their homeland, and they would once again be led well. What you're going to hear the next few Sundays is you're going to hear about prophecies, and any time you think about an Old Testament prophecy, you need to think about it in this way. That there can be multiple fulfillments regarding the prophecy of Christ, for example. I want you to imagine looking at mountain peaks. 
And anytime you go to the mountains and you see the magnificent mountain peaks, what do you notice about the mountain peaks? You'll notice that there's one mountain peak that's close to you. Then there's one a little bit beyond that one. Then there's one beyond that one until you see the furthest mountain peak away. And that furthest mountain peak is called the summit. It's kind of like the grand finale of mountain peaks. Well, whenever we read about Old Testament prophecies, we need to think about it as mountain peaks. We need to think about that there's going to be a close fulfillment of this prophecy. And it may not be about Jesus. It might be about a human person. And then beyond that mountain peak, there's, there might be another fulfillment, then another, and then another. And then we get to the summit, the grand mountain peak of all. When Jeremiah prophesied these words in chapter 23, he's talking first about the close mountain peak, the closest mountain peak to God's people in Jeremiah's day. And he's talking about Ezra and Nehemiah. One day, God would bring to them shepherds who would be God-fearing, who would care for them with compassion and lead with integrity, and they will gather the people back to their homeland, and they will lead well. One of the prophecies would be fulfilled by these human people, Ezra and Nehemiah. But yet there's more mountain peaks to come until they get to the summit. Because Ezra and Nehemiah, like David, were not perfect. They were good. They were great shepherds, but they weren't perfect. The people still needed to reach the summit. They still needed that final mountain peak. And Ezekiel 34, 23 described who this great shepherd would be. I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. He's not talking about Ezra, Nehemiah, or anybody else. He's talking about Jesus. Because David already came and gone. Jesus would come from the royal line of David. He would be that good shepherd. And when you get to the New Testament, you read about the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 2. He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, and they know his voice. I, Jesus, am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus is the summit. He's the last mountain peak. And he came about when he came to this earth. He was that good shepherd. And what did he do as a good shepherd? He tended his flock. He brings his people together in peace. And he rules the world with truth and grace. And one day when he comes back, he will gather his elect, his sheep, into the sheep pen. And he'll scatter us away from the goats. And the goats will be in hell for eternity. And the sheep will be with him in heaven for eternity. It's the second advent that all of us long to see. And I hope he comes while we're here. I hope he comes right now. He can, we need to be ready. But when he comes, he's gonna separate the sheep and the goats and he'll be our good shepherd. The people needed of Jeremiah's day, just like today, they needed a good shepherd to show compassion and to lead them well. They also needed a righteous king who reigned and ruled with integrity because unfortunately they didn't have that. In this time period in Jeremiah's day, after King Josiah died, Josiah had sons and grandsons and all four of them were wicked. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, the chapter before Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 22, it describes the failures of these kings. Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, and even Jehoiachin. 
All three of these kings did wicked in the eyes of the Lord. And then you get to the final king of Judah before they were led into exile, and that was Zedekiah. And who is Zedekiah? Do you know what Zedekiah's name means? It means righteousness of the Lord. How ironic is that? Because there wasn't a righteous bone in Zedekiah's body. We know that because when you get to the end of 2 Kings chapter 24, it described how Zedekiah ruled God's people as king. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord according to all that Jehoiakim had done. For because of the anger of the Lord, it came to the point in Jerusalem and Judah that he cast them out of his presence. The people of God, they didn't have a king that they could look up to. They had a king who only cared about himself, and he did wicked in the eyes of the Lord. And because of Zedekiah's wickedness, it not only led Zedekiah out of God's homeland into Babylonian captivity, where his eyes were literally gouged out by the Babylonians, but it led the people of God into exile away from their homeland. Because they had no king. They had no righteous ruler who ruled with integrity. Zedekiah only cared about himself. But now we get to verse 5 and 6 of Jeremiah 23. And what does Jeremiah prophesy about? He prophesies about a righteous branch, a king who would rule with integrity. Verse 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely. He shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Just a couple brief things here about how Jesus would reign as king. First, he would deal wisely as king. He would follow wise policy because he is all wise. He has all wisdom. He is all knowing. We know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Jesus as king would also execute justice and righteousness He would pull down the proud, he would pull down the arrogant, and he would lift up the poor and the downtrodden. He would defend the cause of the widow and the orphan. And think about when Jesus came. He came as a baby, he grew up as a man, and as a man, what did he do? He confronted the Pharisees head on, he called out the proud, he humbled them, and then he cared for the needy and the weak. That's who Jesus is. He executed justice and righteousness as king. And the third thing that Jesus would do and did as king is he would be a safe king. Judah, as it says in verse 5 and 6 here, they would be saved and Israel would dwell securely. The sheep would no longer be led to the slaughter, but instead they would be fed spiritually. They would be protected. They would be cared for. That's who Jesus is. And that's what he does as our king. And fortunately, all of us living today can read about what he did and know that he's going to come and he's going to bring us all to himself and he'll be our final king and ruler for all eternity. You know what's interesting? I mentioned how Zedekiah, his name means righteousness is the Lord. Well, Jeremiah wrote a pun here. He kind of wanted to have some humor and kind of irony here when he said, well, Zedekiah, he really wasn't righteous, but guess who is righteous? It's Jesus. He would be the antithesis of men like Zedekiah, and his name would be the Lord is our righteousness. 
One other prophecy that many of you have heard in the Christmas season is Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. Isaiah prophesied about a king from the line of David who would rule and the government would be on his shoulders. No other king like King Jesus. So today, as we think about entering Advent in this Christmas season, I I hope I've given you a taste of why we do this every year. My hope and my prayer is that you don't go through the motions this Christmas season, but instead you recapture that wonder that you once had for him. He's worth it. Now, last night when I took Abby to the football game, I made sure that as we were going through large crowds of people that I would hold her hand tightly so that she wouldn't leave me. We were going through a lot of people, and I did not want to let my daughter go. And she knew I would cling to her, and she knew that I had her. We had to go to the bathroom about three times. And every time, I would say, Abby, here's where I want you to go after you use the bathroom. Come right here and stay right here. Daddy will be right here. Right as Abby would go into the women's restroom, I literally would run to the men's restroom. I would do my business. And I would run back, hoping to beat her. And by God's grace, all three times, I beat Abby to the spot that she was to meet me at. So when she got out of the women's bathroom, she saw Daddy, and she's good. And I held her hand, and we went back to the stands and cheered on the balls. You know, the other thing that happened to me, though, is we looked across the field where we were sitting, and I said, do you notice the band? Do you notice the the student section. And she said, yeah, Daddy. I said, you know, Abby, in about eight years, you might be sitting there. I said, I hope you'll come see Mommy and Daddy at halftime. You may not, and that's okay. You'll be with your friends and have a blast. In fact, the college section is really fun. I said, you might even tailgate with us before the game, but at that point, you might go hang out with your friends too, and you have all the freedom to do that. It'll be fun. So we're going to miss you. It's not going to be the same, but it'll be great. And she said, yeah, that sounds like fun, Daddy. You know, as I was thinking about that last night, I thought about Jesus as the everlasting Father and also as the Good Shepherd. And there's a big difference. Because as a father, you have a child that is dependent upon you for a season. And then as they grow up, They aren't as dependent upon you. You want them to grow up. You want them to be able to have their own independence and even have their own children one day, possibly. But you never stop parenting. You're still their father or mother, but it's different as your child grows. But you know what's interesting about sheep and shepherds? No matter how old the sheep is, they are always 100% completely dependent on their shepherd. From when they're born 
for when they die. A sheep always needs its shepherd. It needs its shepherd to feed it, to protect it, to guide and to lead it. In the same way, we as sheep are 100% reliant upon our shepherd. And we desperately need him to feed us spiritually, to protect us, to guide us, and to lead us. So let this great shepherd, this great king, lead you this Christmas season. And may you recapture that wonder that you had when you first learned about it.